0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: A couple of quick notes before we get to today's podcast, and we'll talk to Matt Baker about college football. Rick Stroud's going to break down the Buccaneers cuts to get to the 53-man roster. But we had taped the show uh, mid-afternoon on... Tuesday, and a couple things happened afterwards I wanted to get to, and we'll discuss more on tomorrow's podcast, but uh, in the Rays game in Miami, Shane McClanahan warmed up, and at the end of his warm-ups, he stopped and left and and did not make his start. Uh, The Rays announced that he has a left shoulder impingement, uh, but after the game, Kevin Cash did say they are optimistic he will not miss a lot of time. Uh, At this point, you know they're looking at maybe a couple of weeks if a cortisone shot helps that, they're going to have an MRI today, so they'll have more information there. But they are very optimistic that Shane McClanahan will not miss a significant amount of time. Of course, the Rays are about a month away from the end of the season, hopefully going to make the playoffs and then you know, try to win the World Series in the playoffs. And Shane McClanahan would be a huge part of that. So Rick and I will discuss more of that on tomorrow's podcast. The other one is Stephen White. A defensive uh, tackle for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, drafted out of Tennessee in 1996, played six seasons with the the Buccaneers and also played his last season uh, with the New York Jets. Uh, he passed away at the age of 48. He had checked himself into Moffitt earlier this year battling leukemia. And he passed away at the age of 48, according to several former teammates of his, including Warren Sapp, who called him one of the greatest teammates he ever played with. So we'll have more on that with Rick tomorrow on the podcast. But I did want to mention that before we drop today's podcast, because those were two significant stories here in Tampa Bay that happened. on on Tuesday night after we had taped the podcast. So Rick's going to be joined by Matt Baker, talk some college football week one, some huge games this week, both for Florida, for Florida State, USF as well with BYU, and some national games around the country, including Notre Dame and Ohio State, and also the Buccaneers making some cuts today, including Tyler Johnson and trading Grant Stewart to Indianapolis, and also cutting Logan Ryan. But he'll tell you, Rick will explain why uh, he thinks he'll be back and that uh, this was a planned move. So without further ado.
3: We're talking a little college football today with Matt Baker. Big week in store of college football in the state. We had some games last week as well, but now it's for real. You'll have college game day. All of it starts on Saturday. Matt Baker coming up in just a minute. But first... Let's talk about the Bucs and their roster cuts to get down to the 53-man limit by 4 p.m. on Tuesday. Now, this roster is still very much in flux, but there was some definite interesting moves and and, and things that I wasn't exactly sure how they were going to go. Let's start with the receiver position. And, you know, Tom Brady is the whole deal, right? I mean, it's, it's pot- potentially his last year, not just in Tampa Bay, maybe maybe ever. Uh, and so you looked at this receiver core and you said, wow, they had a lot of guys. All of them can play, but what would they do with some of the young players that they brought in? And it turns out they chose production over potential in every situation. The one veteran they did release or plan to release as we do this podcast was Tyler Johnson. Uh, of course he's the uh, third year receiver out of Minnesota, um, a guy that's been fairly productive at times also had some drops. His biggest problem is he doesn't play any special teams and that's difficult if you're going to be a fifth, sixth receiver. Um, and then none of the kids made it. They, they released, uh, their undrafted free agents, Devin Tompkins, who was as good as any receiver I've seen come in and make highlight catches after highlight catches. Kalen Geiger, who did some nice things as well. Um, They also uh, released uh, Jareth Stearns uh, a day ago from Western Kentucky. So none of their young receivers made it. Uh, They're going to stick with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones, Russell Gage, and as we talk right now, Scotty Miller, Bashad Perriman, and Jalen Darden. So if you look at that group, Steve, I mean, these are the guys that Tom Brady has played with, won games with, and trust the most.
2: Well, and, and as we've said this now for the third straight year, it's all about what Tom Brady wants. That's right. It's it's about making Tom Brady happy, making sure he's got the people, the systems, the everything around him that's going to make him as successful as possible because Correct. he brought you the Super Bowl two years ago, a really good season last year, lost to the Rams in a very close game that would have sent you the NFC Championship game, and now you're hoping to get back to a Super Bowl this year. So, uh, But I'd also like to note that Champa Bay has now gone from two Tyler Johnsons two years ago to none. <laughs>
3: that's true what are the odds that tyler johnson ends up in minnesota or is that where ty He's no,
2: with the blackhawks so it would have to maybe be he goes bears. to
3: the bears and he, and he ends up with tyler johnson <laughs> uh squared in chicago that would be interesting and i would think the bears could use some receivers like a tyler johnson so you never know um i think they released that news early hoping to get a uh, a trade before the 4 p.m deadline so as we do this podcast we're a little shy of that so that might occur by the time you listen to this but uh nonetheless uh Tyler Johnson is, uh, you know, happy trails to him.
2: Some of those young receivers may end up on the practice squad.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, I think that, in fact, the, the, the majority of them, I think they would like to have back. Um, and it just, you know, they're subject to waivers because they're rookies. So if nobody claims them, absolutely, I think um, they would probably be amenable to, to, to returning. And the Bucks would certainly want them, um, as many of them as they could get back. Because you're going to have injuries, and that's how, you know, we saw guys last year like Cyril Grayson and others come up, and have to play. Um, so there were some other surprising moves in the Bucks release safety, Logan Ryan. Um, look, they were he was in the starting lineup, uh, we, or so we thought. Got nicked up a little bit late in camp, but the biggest thing there is I think what they're going to do, and they, they're they not allowed to make a wink-wink, nod-nod deal with these guys when they put a veteran on, on uh, when they release him. He is not subject to waivers. However, um, they can re-sign him. Uh, once they take Ryan Jensen, who has to be on the 53-man roster, had to be on it by Tuesday at 4, so that if Ryan Jensen uh, then goes on PUP on Wednesday, that creates a roster spot for Logan Ryan to come back. That's a lot of Ryans, I know. Uh, and so Jensen then would go on PUP and can be recalled at some point during the season or postseason. And I think that was always the goal, that they were going to carry Jensen on the 53 knowing he was injured uh, and then uh, put them on PUP and recall them, then thereby creating a roster space, which seems almost made to order. They did this a couple years ago with AQ Shipley, a center that was a backup center, and he wasn't looking to go anyplace else. And, you, again, you're not supposed to have some agreement in place when you release a player, um, but we know that Logan Ryan wants to be on this football team. We know he likes it here in Tampa Bay, and I think he's the player they chose to do this with, knowing um, that he would come right back here. Um, so, yeah, that, and then, of course, the other the other cuts, not a, a ton of surprises necessarily. They released Ryan Griffin, who will come back on the practice squad as he has the last couple of years. Um, offensive lineman John uh, Molchan, uh and Dylan Cook. Uh, linebackers uh, Jannard Avery, who they just picked up um, for a look-see, Elijah Ponder, Jordan Young, J.J. Russell. Defensive lineman Mike Green, um, DeAndre Sanat from USF, uh, Benning Pateo, uh, and safety Nolan Turner, who I wrote about, uh, is a bit of a surprise. I thought he had this team made. He also would be a practice squad candidate, kicker Jose Borgalas, which we knew, and tight end J.J. Howland, who I think all those guys could come back on the on the pack practice squad. Ponder's is going to be waived injured, um, so he's got to reach a settlement before he can return. And right now, um, it appears the only undrafted rookie to make this roster was a linebacker, inside linebacker, Ola Kunle, um but Tukasi, and so he he is it. He's the only guy that came in undrafted made this football team. At this point, they have four running backs, Leonard Fournette, Rashad White, Keyshawn Vaughn, and Giovanni Bernard, who we have not seen, so there could be some moves left with him as well. We'll mm-hmm. see if he's a recall guy because of IR. Um, offensive lineman, a kid from Seminole High that I wrote about, offensive lineman Brandon Walton has made it. Uh, it appears Fred Johnson, former Gator, is going to be another tackle, backup tackle. A rookie that they drafted in the sixth round, Co-Keeft, uh from Minnesota, made it as well as the Bucks' fourth tight end. He's been very impressive as a run blocker, particularly from the fullback position. So there you have the cuts.
2: And don't forget they made a trade, too, with the Colts on Tuesday. That's correct.
3: That's correct. Yeah, wow. Grant Stewart, who was Mr. Irrelevant, their linebacker, led the team in special teams tackles last year. He goes to the Colts and the Bucks seventh round pick next season and in exchange, the Bucks gets the Colts sixth round pick. So it's basically bargain basement swap of, of some low round picks, and then um, good for Grant Stewart. He's on an NFL roster, but uh, again, I think the Bucks just felt like they had more athletes and and uh, better talent, so they were able to at least get something for him, which is good. Okay, Matt is going to join us in a minute. But first, folks, we want to remind you that uh, your electric bill can be uh, lowered. And the way to do it this time of year especially is to call our friends at May Electric Solar. It's a family-owned and operated business. They've been installing solar systems for 12 years. Now, there's a lot of these fly-by-night companies, but May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term. They guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and services warranty. Plus, every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances that right there is the may difference so if you visit their hudson showroom may electric displays all of its products it conducts on-site testing you can see what they'll install plus they don't use subcontractors so you know exactly who is doing the job start saving today call the solar energy experts at may electric solar at 727-819-2862 you can schedule a free estimate lower your electric bill all year long and preserve your quality of life and preserve your appliances through every storm season. That's May Electric Solar, 727-819-2862. All right, my favorite time of the week when we can talk college football with Matt Baker. It is not week zero, but week one in the college football season, although you did see Florida State play Duquesne. uh, A a fairly uh, easy win, I guess you would say, for the Seminoles, but more significant uh, in, in some respects too, right, Matt?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. If you look at, I think we talked about it last week, but if you looked at how Florida State struggled against the teams they should have beaten the crap out of in the past, I mean, what, Jacksonville State last year, they they, they screwed around and lost in the worst defeat in program history. Uh, 2019 against Louisiana Monroe, 2018 against Sanford. Yes, there were some, you know, they did beat some bad teams handily in there like UMass last year, but they did not always, let me rephrase it, they did not handle the teams that they were supposed to handle early in the season, particularly well. And then they did, uh, you know, last week against Duquesne. um, They did what they were supposed to do. They went out and dominated a a bad team, uh, won by 40 points. So I take, I I absolutely view that as a sign of progress Um, from where they've been to where they are now. That is a step in the right direction. Good teams and great teams beat the crap out of the bad ones. And that is what happened. And then if you kind of zoom in a little bit more, you know, I, I still have some concerns about this team, particularly offensive line depth and some of those things. But look, they've got three really good backs. And Trayshawn Ward uh, from uh, Tampa Bay Tech, Lawrence Toafili from Pinellas Park, and then the Oregon transfer, Trey Benson. I don't care who they were playing. Some of the plays they made, in particular, Trey Benson breaking some of those tackles, the way Lawrence Toafili cut, uh, just how hard Trayshawn Ward ran, that tells me they got three really good playmakers at running back. And, you know, Toefeli and Ward looked like they took another step compared to last year. And Trey Benson, who, you know, had uh, battled injuries in the past, he looked healthy and like a very good addition to this team. Um, You know, there were some flashes at receiver with do Spann and Johnny Wilson and some of those guys. But the way they played at running back gave me a lot more confidence about this team. I I shouldn't say a lot more. It gave me more confidence about this team. Um, You know, I, I view this LSU game. On Sunday, it's kind of a coin flip. I I don't know what to make of LSU. I I just don't. Um, But, you know, a week ago, I would have given FSU about a 45% chance of winning. Now I think it's more like 51. So I I just feel Mm. a tiny bit more confident in FSU after seeing them do what they were supposed to do against Duquesne.
3: You know, Brian Kelly's first game, and, and a lot of great athletes up there at LSU. I guess if they ran the ball well, Matt, and this has been a thing at Florida State for a while, their offensive line must have moved some people.
0: They did. They, they again, they did what they were supposed to do. They they overmatched uh, a, a bad team. However, I still, I, I think there's progress, but I still have questions, particularly at center, where you know uh, the, the the starter went down. Um, and they had already been without the number one or kind of the top two options in, in, in camp uh, so they were already basically on their third string center and then uh, Dylan Gibbons from uh, Pinellas County has to slide in um, and, and be this you know be doing the snaps for the first team offense so basically they're down to their number four center which is not ideal and you know we'll mm. see what happens with some of the injuries and who is able to get back this week against LSU but if I'm looking at concerns, the, the depth on the offensive line is certainly one that stands out against an, an LSU team that, like you said, they are, they always have athletes.
3: We'll save the game that you're going to here uh, in a minute, but I wanted to ask you uh, about USF. They open against BYU tough opener. The schedule was made long before probably Jeff Scott was the head coach. Nonetheless, he needs to start winning football games. Um, this was a, uh, a game, uh, last year, um, uh, in um, Utah, and USF actually played fairly well. They hung in there with them. They didn't win the game. Now they need to start putting together some wins. What do you make of this matchup? Is It's a tough one to start off with, obviously. New quarterback, though, for USF, so there's a lot of hope over there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's a quarterback who, by the way, when he was at Baylor, beat BYU last year, if I'm not mistaken, and mm-hmm. Gary Bohannon. So yeah. – I think this one, look, realistically, I don't give USF a whole lot of a chance to win this one. BYU is really good. You know, they, they've got their, their quarterback back in hall. Um, they've returned some like 17, 18 starters from a team that was pretty darn good last year, too. Um, Kalani Sataki, the coach there, has really gotten things figured out. I, I kind of thought going into, I guess it would have been the COVID year in 20, that maybe this is not working. And then, obviously, what they were able to do with Zach Wilson in twenty and kind of get the the, the switch flipped, where they were good and very good in twenty and, and good last year too. They're they're moving in the right direction in BYU. Um, however, you have to remember how USF played them last year, where they were tough. It was a competitive game, you know, down to the wire in the fourth quarter. If USF could have gotten a defensive stop, then maybe it would have ended up differently. So uh, I kind of over. Uh, I minimized USF ch- USF chances last year and they were competitive. And here I am minimizing them again. Um, I, I, but I think this is a game that the Bulls absolutely... Should they win? No. But they can get themselves to have a chance to win. And honestly, they've been kind of gunning for that, I think. Um, go back to the spring where they made the decision not to broadcast or televise the spring game in any capacity. Uh, why did they do that? Well, they did that because USF has a new defensive coordinator... Um, a new offensive coordinator so there's going to be some different wrinkles and they didn't want that on tape even in a pretend practice setting that BYU could see they they would you know Jeff Scott said I'd rather BYU have to figure out you know w- what are the splits with our running back and safeties and all that so I'd rather them have to figure that out during the first couple possessions in week 1 than put that on film early and maybe that will be the difference between winning and losing so um, USF has put a lot into this game, even if it's one that statistically doesn't seem like they have necessarily a whole lot of a chance of, of winning, but look, this would be huge for, for USF. Um, this is a big year for them with everything going on, obviously with conference realignment, obviously with the facilities as we sit here today, recording on Tuesday at two sixteen, we ha- don't have a, a stadium update yet of any substance, but that's still in the background. Uh, the indoor practice facility will be opening here in the next couple months. There's, there's a lot of momentum, a lot of you know, a lot of things going on around the program. It needs to show up in wins. And if they could beat a top 25 caliber BYU team in week one, that would be huge in terms of kind of a proof of concept that Jeff Scott and the Bulls know what they're doing here.
3: No question, should be an entertaining game. All right, Matt. The game you'll be at, of course, is the University of Florida hosting Utah. And let's start. I know we're going to talk about Utah and how important this game is to the entire state. It appears. Um, but, uh, you had a chance to, uh, to talk, um, uh, and wrote a story about Anthony Richardson, who I think is one of the most fascinating players in the country this year. And, uh, and yep. I say that because he's sort of a wild card. We know how incredibly talented he is both as a runner and, re- and, 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 passer. Um, he has a tremendous arm. Um, and, and yet he doesn't have a ton of experience. He was injured a little bit last year, but now, um, one, one of the tight ends, florida and i love this this quote dante sand says he's the Kadarius tony at quarterback
0: uh-huh and so let's start with what dante meant he meant with uh Kadarius tony if, if you remember uh, was was a gator first round pick he mm-hmm. was just an uh, an electric athlete they could you know he's uh began his career getting looks at quarterback um he did not have the arm to to make that his long-term thing but he was just an electric player, kind of a Percy Harvinish, and you could do the jet sweeps with him. You could uh, flip it to him in different ways. You could throw it to him. You could do a deep ball to him. You could do whatever, and he was a ton of, of fun to watch and ex- you know extremely excited. But here's the thing: is through the first couple years he was in Gainesville, uh, especially after Mullen got there, Dan Mullen said more than once, "Look, whenever he gets the ball, it's going to be exciting." You just don't know whether it's going to be good or bad. (laughs) And I think there's a little of that to Anthony Richardson as well. You look at his talent. There is no question he has in my mind that he has first round talent. I mean, Mm -hmm. look, he's Mm -hmm. listed at 6'4", 232. He's big. He's hard to bring down. You know, I don't know exactly what his 40 time is. But, uh, you know, Kyle Whittingham, the uh, the Utah coach, compared him to Cam Newton the other day. Yeah, you, you can see that. Uh, just a fantastic arm. Saw that. He had a throw at the Manning Academy where he went 70 bazillion yards. And look, and, and the way he kind of led them and that comeback bid off the bench against LSU, some of the highlight plays he made, the hurdle against Florida Atlantic, and the long run and the long pass against USF. You can see this guy, like, could you... He, he has Heisman potential. I'm not saying he's going to win it this year, but he's a guy that absolutely has the potential to win. However, you also see what is it, uh, seven career touchdown passes, six career interceptions. I, I went back and, and watched the interceptions from, from last year. They mm-hmm. were some bad ones. Mm-hmm. Throwing off his back foot under pressure in a double coverage, stuff like that, where it's, that was a bad, bad play. His interception rate was, was twice what uh, 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 Emory Jones's was. And then you kind of look a little bit more, um, just kind of get under the hood even more. There was the one, uh, he had a play against FAU. Mullen kind of explained it later because Dan Mullen never really explained why Anthony was on the bench and Emory was starting. Mm-hmm. But he kind of gave us some clues about maybe Anthony didn't make all the right reads. So there was one where he missed the protection on a play and then missed his hot read and then missed the primary read and then took off and <laughs> ran. And everybody was like, oh, my God, what a great run. <laughs> it was, but yeah. it was a great run against Florida Atlantic because there were three Uh, misreads in there that if you do that against LSU, you do that Saturday against Utah, it's not going to be a spectacular play. Um, And and then just the the factors around Anthony Richardson as well, where if I were to put a, you know, he's still fairly inexperienced quarterback. What is it? Uh, 66 career passes. If I were to put an inexperienced quarterback in a bad situation, let's, let's just draw up a bad situation for him. You would have it be a situation where the receivers around him probably aren't going to make a lot of great plays, um, where the tight ends were so thin that one of their top guys is a converted defensive end, and they had line, uh, excuse me, long snappers playing the position in the spring. Mm-hmm. Then you'd put him on a new head coach and his third offensive coordinator slash uh, quarterbacks coach in three years. So that's what Anthony Richardson's dealing with. So this is not a position... Where, where like he's guaranteed success because of the stability around him and you know you've got a Kadarius Tony who's going to make some plays. He, he doesn't. I don't think he has that. At least what I've seen. So where I've come down on him is if you want to if you think he is going to be a first round pick, All America type player, yes, you can absolutely justify it. I've got we can we can get on YouTube right now. I can show you the plays exactly where they were where you could say yes, this guy has it. If you want to say this guy's Not going to work out. This is going to be a disaster, this, that, and the other. Okay, I've got YouTube pulled up. We can find those exact plays too. Or he could be somewhere in the middle where he doesn't quite reach his potential yet, but uh, he's not a disaster either. So I have no idea which way it's going (laughs) to go. I just simply don't. I don't know enough about Billy Napier as a quarterback developer. I know we did a really good job with Levi Lewis at Louisiana, but that was one quarterback. It might've just been, been Levi Lewis. I don't, I just don't know one way or the other, how this is going to go, but you can see it going really well. You can see it going really poorly, or you can see it going somewhere in the middle and whatever that, however, this lands with the way this team is and the way the schedule is and everything else. If he goes out and does really well, the Gators could go nine and three, maybe, you know, eight and four, nine and three. If he goes out and plays poorly, you maybe you can see five and seven.
3: Hmm. Wow. That's a, uh, that's, it's quite a variance there. Um, I love Napier's quote, uh, when he says, uh, I know we all want to put a crown on his head. I mean, the guy's completed 33 passes is actually 39 in his career. Great quarterbacks at the University of Florida. They complete 33 in one game. Um, so, and that's so true.
0: You're right. So let's talk about that for a second. Um, Billy is clearly not like saying his quarterback's a bum, right? He, right. He's, he has raved about Anthony Richardson's ability plenty. What Billy has also done is kind of tap the brakes a little bit. I I think they're in a situation right now where Anthony has so much talent, but he hasn't done it consistently. He hasn't done enough of it yet. And I think Billy's kind of being careful to make sure that the hype train doesn't leave the station too fast too soon, and that Anthony's able to handle all of it. I think that's kind of why he's... Said those types of things on more than one occasion. Where let's let's kind of pump the brakes, not wanting to pump his quarterback up too much. And you know, let's face it, uh, we haven't spoken to Anthony Richardson since SEC Media Day. Uh, the media, he has not been made available to the media yet. So I think there's some of that is involved as well, just kind of trying to keep the pressure as low as possible uh, heading into Utah.
3: Well, let's talk about Utah because Kyle uh, Winningham has a really good football team, and we know that uh, they. Are uh, a team that took Ohio State to the wire in the Rose Bowl a year ago. They've got nine guys coming back, including their quarterback, Cameron Rising. And you wrote a story about how this is this is a a huge deal in Utah and and clearly, if Florida were to win this game, I mean, that puts them in, in a different class as well because of U- Utah's potential here and what they did last season. But why is this being hyped as as such a big litmus test right off the bat? Is it the SEC? Is it Florida? What is it?
0: It's the SEC. Um, look, Utah does not have much experience playing SEC teams at all. I think they've made like four SEC road trips ever. And I'm saying teams that are currently in the SEC, not when they played Missouri in 1984 or whatever it was. Um, so, and they haven't, I don't think they've made an SEC road trip in like 30 something years. So that's one. Um, it's Florida. You know, I, I talked to some people out in Utah, and yes, they know that the Gators are not what the Gators have. You know, when, when you think, you know, when the average college football fan thinks of the Gators, that they're not at that level right now. But it's still the Gators, and it's still a brand that matters. Um, so I think those are some of the reasons. Uh, obviously, Florida and Utah have a lot of ties. Um, Urban Meyer uh, and Dan Mullen were together at, at Utah, did really great things there, and then went from there to Florida, and they also did really great things a- in that run. So so I think there's a, some familiarity from the, the average Utah fan with the Gators program. And then the other factor is, again, Utah is really, really good. I've got mm-hmm. them number four in the country on my AP ballot. I mm-hmm. think they are absolutely a college football playoff contender. You know, if you look at so many unknowns this year with the transfer portal and some of the coaching changes with Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly and all that stuff, they're one of, you know, I don't know, 10 teams that maybe more than that, that have a legitimate shot of kind of being in that mix under. Um, Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia. So you kind of factor that in with the fact that if if they go out on primetime week one, win at the Swamp in Billy Napier's debut, where it should be a rockin' environment, and then Utah does what they need to do and what, frankly, they are capable of doing the rest of the way, what you know, which is win the Pac-12, uh, beat USC, win at Oregon, win, you know, win the, win the Pac-12, and, and they've had a good game in, in week three against a San Diego State team that was one of the best in the group of 5 last year. So they have the schedule and I think they have the just the experience with Cam Rising, the the running back, really good tight ends. The defense should be better. Put all that stuff together. Utah is this this has the potential to be arguably the biggest year in the history of Utah football cuz you know there's conference realignment stuff going on with them too. So and it just happens to open against you know, in one of the most famous venues in the sport against one of the biggest named teams in the sport while they're breaking in a new coach. So from the Utah perspective, this is absolutely monumental. And I've, believe me, I, I'll put it this way. I did Utah radio I don't know, a month ago, a couple of weeks ago. And I just casually mentioned like, hey, if any Utah fans are, are coming out for the game, hit me up on Twitter and Baker TB times DM me. I'll, I'll hook you up with some restaurant recommendations and that stuff. And I had more than a couple say, Hey, I heard you on the radio. We're coming into the game. We're flying into Miami, Jacksonville, whatever. Where should I, you know, where should I stay? Where should I eat? So there's a lot of excitement around there.
3: Well, to that point, uh the, the Florida's original allotment to Utah uh, ticket allotment was three it's been bumped to forty five hundred. And um I I don't know if this is still the case, but it, it early in the week this was still not a sellout. Of course, there's you know eighty eight thousand five hundred and forty eight capacity. So that's a big that's a big arena. Obviously, are you surprised that the the opener against a team with this this sort of pedigree is not is not sold out?
0: It is a the single game tickets are sold out, but there were still season tickets available.
1: As oh, okay. I think what it, okay. what it was last. Okay. Either way, whatever
0: the number ends up being, it should be a full house or pretty it's darn gonna close to it. It's going to be huge. Yeah. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. I'm expecting a great environment, and I, and I hope it is. You know, just in terms of what I've told Utah oh, yeah. people when when the swamp is rocking (laughs) there are very few places like it i mean lsu is a sensational sensational environment the uh the loudest i've ever heard human beings was being on the field for the last couple minutes at florida tennessee and i guess it would have been 16 up in knoxville when tennessee won for the first time in 13 years whatever it was that was insane but the swamp when it is on and, you know, it was on against Alabama last year. It was on certainly against Auburn in 19. Uh, the Ole Miss one in 15 is another one that jumps to mind. When it is on, it is deafening. And it is a special, oh, I'm getting goosebumps talking about, it. It is a special, special place. And I certainly hope, uh, you know, for our, our Utes friends coming in, that it, it lives up to the hype and they can come away with uh, enjoying, ha- having had a good time. And, and let's, let's say the other side of it too. Um, Florida plays at Utah next year. Um, that venue is, looks gorgeous from the picture. I, I, and I hear it is yep. a fantastic place. Um, so it's, you know, I, I really give the athletic directors here, you know, the AD at Utah's Mark Harlan, who was at USF, and, and obviously yep. Scott Strickland at Scott Florida. Strickland. Mm-hmm. I give them credit for making this series happen because it's, it's look, this is what, this is a fun game. You know, people yep. are so excited for this, more so than it would be if Florida was opening against Charleston Southern. Yeah, and, I think next year Florida fans are going to be excited to go to Salt Lake and make kind of a different road trip than what they're used to mm-hmm. and um yeah i i the other factor too is they're playing on campus this could have easily been one of those where they do it in Vegas or they do it in Santa Clara, California at the wherever the Niners sure. play or or uh, Camping world stadium in orlando and those are fine you know I, i've I've covered those those are those are nice environments, but I'm very excited and I know the fans are excited that this is a chance for Utah to come to the swamp and next year yep. will be a chance for Gator fans to go to Utah and see a game in those environments, which is something completely different, but hopefully just, uh, just special in their own way.
3: I can't imagine what it will be like to be a Florida fan. If they go out there and they beat Utah <laughs> and, and all is in their one and O after Saturday, it's going to be fun. Some other top 25 matchups. We'll just get your opinion on them quickly here, uh, Matt. Um, I'll start with uh, Cincinnati at Arkansas. Kind of an interesting game, right? Cincinnati was very relevant a year ago in, in the tournament. Arkansas won the Outback Bowl.
0: Yeah, uh, the the Relay Quest Bowl. Now uh, I'll yes, have you know, that's correct. Um, it's always Outback Bowl in our hearts. Um, yeah, 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 Arkansas is always you know they have been consistently good under Sam Pittman and kind of continuing to build. Uh, they've got continuity at the OC and DC positions. Not a lot of power five guys or teams have had the same offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator for three years the way Arkansas has. Um, So they're stable. I know what I'm going to get, which is a tough physical team. Cincinnati, I don't know as much. Um, Obviously, they did fantastic last year. They made the playoff. They deserved it. But then you lose Desmond Ritter at quarterback, who's with the Falcons Mm. now, right? And you lose Jerome Ford, the really good running back, Sauce Gardner, all those guys to the NFL. Yeah. Cincinnati has recruited at a high level, so they should still be among the, the class of the group of five. But I don't, I don't know if that's going to be enough to beat Arkansas, but I, that's no gimme for either one. That's, that's, a, that's a cool non-con matchup.
3: Yeah, Arkansas loves to run the football. Oregon is at Georgia, the national champions, uh, defending their title to begin with against uh, a brand team from the Pac-12. I mean, Oregon is, is always a pretty good program.
0: Yeah, that matchup in Atlanta, I mean, it's it's technically a neutral site, but yeah, that's not going to be a neutral site. Uh, dogs are going to be all over that one. The cool thing there is Dan Lanning, the new coach at Oregon, who obviously replaced Mario Cristobal, is now at the U. Um, he was an assistant under Kirby at Georgia and won the national mm-hmm. title there with him as the DC. Yeah, I don't know how much of the defense was him and how much was Kirby, but sure. either way, it's one of those things where there's not going to be a lot of secrets, right? Dan Lanning knows Georgia inside and out. And they you know what he wants to do and can do inside and out. So um, it's one of those that's going to kind of see. It'll be interesting to see if there's any new wrinkles with it. And going to come down to execution. But look, the team with the most dudes wins most of the time. Oregon has some very good players. But Georgia, yeah. e- even yeah. a slight, re- slightly regressed Georgia, which I think they'll be this year, should be better than just about anybody in the country. And they should certainly be better than the Ducks.
3: a lot of dudes. Finally, we'll wrap it up on this. Notre Dame is at Ohio State, Ohio State National Championship Aspirations again, as always. Notre Dame with a new head coach as Brian Kelly has moved on uh, to LSU. So CJ Stroud, one of the favorites for the Heisman Trophy. What do you make of this opener?
0: Yeah, Notre Dame is number five in the country. I've got him a little bit lower on my ballot, but I don't know that this one's all that close. Uh, Ohio State just has so much talent. You know, with with the receivers, little Marvin Harrison, which makes all of us feel old. And Jackson <laughs> no Stithing, right. Jigba, yeah. I mean, again, I grew up a Colts fan uh, in, in Indiana. I, I am sure I had a Marvin Harrison jersey. Um, so the idea that his his Mar- little Marvin Harrison, who's not little, he's uh, much bigger than his old man. Yeah, yeah that, that one makes me feel old. Um, but but Ohio State's just kind of on another level there, talent wise. You know, C.J. Stroud on the short Heisman list, as you mentioned. And then you know, Marcus Freeman's second game as head coach, because he did coach the bowl game That's last true. year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's still some of those, he doesn't know what he doesn't know yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, new quarterback at Notre Dame and all that stuff. I, it, it's a fantastic matchup in terms of the sexiness, of the brand appeal, uh, you know, put those t- helmets at the horseshoe. That is awesome. But in terms of on the field stuff, I don't know that Notre Dame's got the horses to hang with Ohio State.
3: For nostalgia, I think the last time they played in Columbus, I covered the game. That's how long it's been. Uh, but it was Thank God. It, I know. Tough, tough place to win, though, in Columbus. You go in there, man, on a football Saturday. That town is crazy. They were burning the mattresses. All that was going on. It was fun. So, I, I did.
0: Uh, uh, I did one game at Ohio State when I was a, a student at the, the Daily Northwestern. Um, I remember t- making sure I took a picture of um, them, uh, the script Ohio and dotting the I. Uh, Northwestern got obliterated as they should have. Um, the other thing that I remember, this is extremely important. At halftime, I believe it was halftime. They had Oreo McFlurries in the press box. Ooh, I, it's it's Can't a miracle it. I don't weigh a thousand pounds because of the stress of this job and all the getting fast food on off seventy five on the way home from Gainesville or whatever. But I vividly remember the McFlurries in the press box at the Horseshoe.
3: Wow. Well, I would be remiss in not saying congratulations to your Northwestern Wildcats. They did Nebraska in week zero over in Ireland, and woof, Scott Frost, what are you doing with the onside kick? He's in trouble, isn't he,
0: Matt? (laughs) He is in major trouble. He was in trouble before because, look, where Nebraska is, how bad they've been under him. Honestly, if his name was not Scott Frost and he wasn't a native son who had done well as a player, done very well as a player, he, he would have been gone. But they gave him a second chance, uh, or gave him another chance. to new AD, Trev Alberts, and it—it's not working. It's just not working. You know, it, he's what is it, five and twenty-one and one score games now at, at Nebraska. You some you know mm. sometimes you're gonna lose those right. There's coin flips. The, it's an oblong ball. It bounces weird. That happens. But five and twenty-one, the only. There's only one commonality in all of them, and it's the head coach. Because it's not the same quarterback anymore. Have had new assistants, all that stuff. The commonality is the head coach. And at a certain point, clearly something is not working. Um, and, and I go back to uh, when Scott got hired from UCF. That looked like a looked like a slam dunk, you know, Absolutely. with the way he'd won big with the Knights, going back home. If I thought if anybody could get Nebraska turned around, it would be him. And it's not working. And then just kind of one other random thought on this. Go back to that, what, seven, yeah, 2017, 2018 coaching carousel where, where Scott Frost took that job. You know, because he was you know, a guy that the Gators had interest in. They were considering him, um, and, and he has not worked out. Chip Kelly was, of course, the other one in that carousel that got um, some interest from the Gators. And so far, he hasn't won big at UCLA. Uh, Dan Mullins, the one who got fired. You know, they hired him, and it worked until it didn't, and then the, the wheels fell off. But, like, you kind of go back and look at that. That was the Willie Taggart cycle with Florida State and some of the others. It, it wasn't a great coaching carousel where you look at, you know, maybe the Gators got the best guy of the bunch, and he's the only, you know, <laughs> even though he's not there anymore.
3: Yeah, it's 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 crazy that uh, he's not going to probably survive that. But, hey, you know what? Northwestern was impressed with them. The quarterback played well. You have to beat them. They're going to run the ball. Offensive line was good. <laughs> if you're a Wildcat fan, man, that was that was a nice opener for you.
0: It, it it was, um, and I want to give credit, you know, shout out to my, my five-year-old. Uh, every week we do our predictions. I put him <laughs> I in my phone, me and him and, and my wife, and only one person in the Baker household was bold <laughs> enough to predict Northwestern to beat Nebraska. And they, Northwestern won by three, by the way, and, of course, my, my five-year-old got that right. So I'm That's just going to give great. the laptop to him at this point. Like, all right, you got it. You know how to read well enough. Go. It's all you. Oh,
3: man. I tell you what the kids are the kids are smarter they just are well thanks for uh everything Matt uh, good luck on your trip to Florida to see Utah should be an interesting week and we'll talk to you again thanks much
0: you got it thanks Rick
3: all right the Rays will continue their series in Miami tomorrow the Bucks will be forming their practice squad and any other tweaks that they may make to the roster so keep it on hand for that. And get your mailbag questions in. We're going to do that. I've got some already. You can submit them through Twitter at Sports Day TV. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at Tampa Bay.com. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud, of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.